So those of you who are just kind of catching up to us uh, in, in a series of Ruth, uh, Ruth uh, is uh, the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi was the, the wife of Elimelech. Uh, Elimelech took his family away from Bethlehem to the land of Moab because there was a famine. Elimelech died, and his two sons, uh, Malon and Kilian, died, uh, and they had two wives, Orpah and Ruth. Uh, they became widows, and Orpah and Ruth had the choice. Do I stay in Moab? Do I go and return to my family and hope to find another husband and have children and have a, have a life? Or do I stay with uh, Naomi? Well, Orpah went back to her family, grippingly crying. It still was an emotional decision. But Ruth made the choice, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve uh, the God of Naomi. Your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. And they left Moab. They heard some stirring going on in Bethlehem. There was food there. So they went back to Bethlehem, and Naomi greeted all her old uh, friends and family, saying, Call me Mara. Call me bitterness, because the Lord has dealt bitterness bitterly to me. And at the end of chapter 1, we see it was the beginning of the harvest. time of the harvest. So in chapter 2, we see Naomi working in the fields and gathering food for, Ruth working in the fields, gathering food for uh, Naomi. And reputation is kind of being spread about this this Moabite woman who is serving uh, her um, mother-in-law, Naomi. Uh, Boaz catches uh, Naomi's eye, or catches Ruth's eye. And uh, Boaz treats her kindly, giving her a, a number of food and tells his men to protect and care for uh, Ruth. Uh, in chapter 3, you have this dramatic scene where Ruth takes that step of faith after counsel from her, uh, from her mother-in-law and goes and presents herself to Boaz and says, Will you be faithful to me? Will you be like the Lord to me and spread your garment over me and care for me? And Boaz says, I will make sure you are redeemed. But being the honorable man that he was, he says, but there is someone closer to you than I. Go home, take these six um, uh, barley, measures of barley, and uh, take them to your mother-in-law, and I will um, take care of this in the morning. So we get this in chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz has gone up to the gate and sat down. There. So the, the, this chapter was kind of bookend by the gates. The gate is where uh, matters were discussed. It was kind of half town council, half judgment seat. So this is where uh, you went to find final answers. And it says, And behold, the Redeemer of who Boaz had spoken came by. It's interesting as you read this, the, the Redeemer that, who had rightly, right, rightly claimed for Naomi's land and to Ruth, his name is not mentioned. He is simply the Redeemer. And I think that kind of is, is important because what Boaz said is, I will make sure that the Lord, you are redeemed. There is, I think there's an emphasis that, I, that, that, that Boaz's heart is the heart of our Lord to make sure that there is redemption. So this Redeemer is, is there. So the end of chapter, verse 1 it says, So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So what Boaz is doing is Boaz is is a man of action. He's settling the matter. It's the the next day after this great proposal that's happened by by Ruth. And he gathered the man who was the Redeemer. And he gathered the ten men and said, sit down here. Let us have a discussion. Let us have a a conversation as as a courtroom to make the the matters for, uh, for Ruth. And I just love how this doesn't drag on. 
You know, Ruth, you know, Boaz just does it. He takes the step forward and tries to care for, for Ruth. Verse 3. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, at this time, the, the Redeemer probably knew of Naomi, right? But Boaz is kind of establishing it for the, the ten elders to make sure everyone's on the same page. He's saying, listen, she's coming back to sell her, her parcel of land. She would have probably had a parcel of land from the family of Elimelech. It would have been hers. And for someone to, to take possession of that land, uh, someone had to, to buy it. So verse 4, So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. Which is interesting how he says the elders of my people. Uh, it could be because the, the people there were of uh, um, Boaz's tribe. Or it could be that this redeemer was had maybe a secondary uh, reference. We don't fully know. We don't, the, a lot of the details aren't there. Uh, but either way, Boaz goes before these men. He says, listen, I'm establishing a council of, of, of witnesses here. Kind of transport back to the, the days of Moses when the elders decided matters of court so Moses wouldn't be overwhelmed and overburdened. He said, get elders, get reliable men who are, are, are judgment and put them in crowds of 50, crowds of, of 100, crowds of 50, and crowds of 10. One of the reasons why we have elders here, we just kind of had a conversation in our members meeting about having a plurality of elders. It is not good for all the weight and all the pressure of a congregation, the oversight, to be the one person. As Jethro said to Moses, if you do this by yourself, you're going to kill yourself, Moses. Right? You're going to be overwhelmed and you need help. So establish elders. So the idea of a plurality of elders has really been a, a, a kind of carryover for, for Jewish life. It's been kind of repurposed in the life of the church. But there's always been a plurality of leaders in the life of God's people. We see that even here. End of verse 4. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know that there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So Boaz is being a man of honor, saying, listen, this land is rightfully yours. If you want this land, uh, it is rightfully yours. But if you don't want it, I'm next in line. So just let me know, and I'll take care of it. That's all the conversations right now from this man is always thinking about his land. So if someone came to you and said, hey, there's this large piece of property that belongs to you, and you can get it at a steal. Would you want the land? Man, I could put a lot of tiny homes on that land, right? I'm taking it, right? There's this, this, this idea of I want that, that land. But it says, listen, but if you don't want it, I'm next in line, so just let me know and I'll take care of it. And what does he say? He said, I will redeem it. You can kind of, if you're kind of, we don't know how this is being read, but you can kind of see that the crowd uh, who kind of, or maybe the audience who's, who's listening to this for the first time, knows of Naomi, knows of Ruth, knows of Boaz, knows of this dramatic love story, this older man and this young Moabite widow and this relationship. And they go to the court, and the, 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 the elders, and they, they share, and, and of course this man is not going to redeem it. It's going to go to Boaz, and he says, no, I'll take it. No, no, that's not the way it's supposed to work out. And then Boaz said, craftily, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So that was what a kingdom redeemer was. They would redeem the, um, the, the widow of a... Um, 
They would redeem the widow, marry them, and, and, and have children to prolong their, their offspring. It's interesting how he only brings it up now. <laughs> We're talking about all this land, do you want the land? And I think this is partly this, uh, the character of, of Boaz. Boaz is, is in many ways trying to expose the character of the Redeemer. You know, what is this Redeemer truly after? Do you want the land? Yes, I want the land. I will redeem it. This is, but also you have to redeem this woman. You have to care and care for this, this woman to perpetuate the offspring of the dead. Verse 6, Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Uh, what's probably happening here is that this um, man probably had children, and probably was just worried about having more children to divide his inheritance among more members of his family. Uh, either way, he says, listen, I can't do it. I can't take Ruth as a wife. I can't have more children. I'm, I'm kind of out of the picture. I'm, I'm, you know, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to run, right? He lays his cards down and he's, he's sorry. I thought that was a pretty good line. Uh, thank you. So he lays his cards down, and he's, he's out of the picture. And he says, okay, uh, Boaz, it's back to you. Um, now this is where the things, just this beautiful picture, how this story ends. It says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one would drew, drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So they, they, they exchanged sandals, verse 8. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off a sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought the, from the hand of Naomi and that all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought, bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. And the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers from the gate of this narrative place. You are witnesses this day. So it's that little section of what Boaz is saying is the idea of witnesses. You are witnesses this day. The idea of witness was a very big thing in ancient Israel. Uh, so the, someone's word, their yes be yes and their no be no, was a very, very big deal. So in those days, if you, if you testified in court and you gave false testimony, you would be liable for the same judgment as the accused. So if someone was accused of murder and you had testified in that murder trial that they were guilty when they weren't, you bear false witness, you were executed. Right? They took the idea of witnesses very seriously. So Boaz is doing everything right here. He gets them all together and says, you are witnesses. There's this exchange. He's saying, this is what my intention is. This is what I'm going to do. Can I just make a comment, which I think we kind of need to recover in our day, is that we need to be a lot more letting our yes be yes and our no be no. We say we're going to do something, we need to do it. Right? Too many times we have people who say, yes, I'm going to follow through on that. But when it comes to actual commitment, they don't do it. And I think even when we talked about this, this, this evening about uh, church membership, when you join a church, what you're saying is, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. I'm going to pray for God's people. I'm going to bear with them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to take the Lord's supper. I'm going to give to the church. That's my commitment. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And what happens is, is when people don't take that, we, we try to hold them accountable for the choices and the decisions that they made. The world kind of raises their hand. How dare you? How dare you hold me accountable? How dare you not keep your commitment? Is one way we can say it, right? Here, there was a stack of, stack of witnesses holding um, Boaz accountable if he did not follow through on his word. Uh, I love the story that um, Gary told me about his dad. 
uh, Pastor Gary's uh, father was an honorable man, and uh, his dad went into a, uh, a local store and uh, was buying a home, I believe, and said, hey, I need uh, $5,000. And the clerk just said, gave him $5,000. And the owner of the store kind of came back and said, hey, when you were out, someone came in, I gave, gave him $5,000. You did what? You just gave someone $5,000? Are you crazy? He's getting all agitated and worked up. Like, well, who'd you give it to? Uh, I gave it to Mr. Huddleston. Oh, okay. Because, because of his character, because of his reputation, everything was fine. Because he knew that when he said he was going to do something, he was going to follow through on it. That was just normal back in the day. When people had, had, a, had a, you shake a hand, and that was it. You know, I, I spent a couple... Um, Afternoons with uh, uh, Owen McKee, and um, Owen McKee is such a godly man. Those of you who don't know him, Owen was is, is about 95. He was a longtime member, is, is a longtime member of this church. Uh, his memory is kind of fading now. He he built most of Rock Hill, the old city builders downtown, helped build this uh, building uh, that we're uh, uh, sitting in. And um, if you talk to Owen about his story, there's a lot of times he got shorted. There's a lot of times people did not follow through on, on paying him uh, what, was, what was due him, right? And when you talk to him, he says, well, sometimes uh, people did what they tell you they're going to do, and sometimes they didn't. But either way, you just got to work with people, and you got to love them, and you got to be gracious to them. I mean, that was just his character, right? He says, listen, I'm going to be held accountable for what I say. I'm going to let my yes be yes and my no be no, right? That's the kind of character that we want to be as a congregation. We want our commitments to, to mean something, um, and that's what I think Boaz is, is doing here. It's interesting how, um, you know, if we read, if we didn't read the whole story of Ruth and Boaz and just the, the, the worthiness of Boaz and, you know, how many times we talk about Ruth being worthy, if we've just read this sentence in 21st century, pulled it out of its context, it would sound kind of harsh. Let me read it to you. Uh, this is what Boaz says. And Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. What? Did he just say that he bought her to be his wife? Well, remember what he's, what he's saying here, right? He is willing to invest his life into Ruth, right? He's not just saying that I, I, I am buying her kind of like a, this is just some piece of property. No, he's saying, listen, I am willing to lay down my future inheritance. I'm willing to lay down all my resources for Ruth, the Moabite, to be my wife. This other redeemer had that same opportunity. And he says, no, I don't want to deal with it because of the, the consequences that the marriage commitment that was going to bring upon him. Right? If you are young men or, or older men, right, when you get married, the, the, the calling of, of marriage is a commitment. Right? And you have to be willing to lay down and sacrifice all that belongs to you for your spouse. I'm so encouraged by so many young people in our, in, our, in our congregation who are choosing to be married young, saying, yes, I'm willing to do that. For young men to step up and say, yes, I'm going to make a commitment to you. Uh, I, I want to give you your um, a life that's beautiful and, 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 and glorious. That's exactly what Ruth uh, is being offered here by Boaz. And this is in the presence of all the people. We, we, we have witnesses at, at a marriage ceremony. Uh, we say we are gathered Dear, dearly beloved, we are gathered together here. Right? There's this gathering in front of this cloud of witnesses. We declare you man and wife. There is a commitment there. There's a commitment when we, when we go baptism in front of a cloud of witnesses so that we can be held accountable. Verse 11. Then all the people 
who were at the gate, and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Now, this is fascinating, right? Quick biblical theology. So God had Adam and Eve, right? Created them in, in, in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned. They put them out of, outside of the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, some generations pass, and we get to Abraham. And, and God makes this great promise to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And through your offspring, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And we see Abraham, and then we see Isaac, and what happens to, to their wives? Their wives can't have children. Right? For many years, Sarah is, is barren before she has Isaac. Many years, Rebekah is barren before she has uh, Jacob. And then Jacob has Rachel and Leah. And guess what? Rachel and Leah just had a whole lot of babies. Right? Right? And what happened there is that God, through Rachel and Leah, was creating a people. Right? So through Jacob's offspring, when, when all was said and done, when, when Joseph kind of went ahead on his journey to Egypt, and it said 70 were brought to, to Egypt. And what happened in Egypt? That band of 70 became 2 million people. Right? This beautiful picture of God's promise to Abraham that I will make you a great nation. If you want to be a great nation, what do you need? You need a lot of people. And that's what they're saying here. Will, will, will Ruth, who doesn't have children, who may have longed for children. I know that uh, many women, when they get married, especially in, in Middle Eastern culture, uh, when they get married, their desire is for children. It's many of the desires of, of women uh, in, 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 in the present day in America and across the world is that when they get married, they, they, they hope for the one day to have, to have children. And when, when, the, when the spouse dies, that, that hope is gone. There's a lot of grieving and ang you know, angst that happens that, that the life that you hope for is now over. And here, God is redeeming her life through, through Boaz. And the elders, they say, May Ruth bring you many children who, who built up the house of Israel. May your house be built up like the nation of Israel. Then he says this, May you act worthily in Pathathra and be renowned in Bethlehem. Pathathra was a community right around Bethlehem. Many people kind of use them interchangeably in the scriptures. And Boaz is already known to be what? A man of, of worth to be worthy. And it says here, may you continue to act worthily. And may what happened to you bring renown in Israel. Right? Will, your, will your name be, be brought to, to bring glory to the Lord? And guess what, y'all? It's been a long time since Boaz lived. And we are still giving God praise and glory for his life. You know, there's many of us here where people will never know our names. That's okay. God does. Right? God sees what, what we do in secret and he will reward us. But there's certain people that God uses to bring renown for his name. And that's what he's saying here. May you bring renown for his name. And this is when it gets really interesting. This is when the story kind of really kind of heats up. It says, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Think about this. 
Naomi comes back to Bethlehem and she says, Call me bitter, because the Lord has dealt bitterly to me. And all the time, what is my, Naomi's hope? Naomi's hope is that she may find Ruth rest. Several times, as we kind of trace this story in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, Naomi wants Ruth to find rest. And what does Ruth done at the end of the story? He says, God has given you rest, Naomi. God has given you rest through me and through your seed, through, through this child. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Who has he given birth to? Well, it says that Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, The son has been born to Naomi. Now, it was born to Ruth, but remember, this is the, the re redemption process. God is bringing redemption through the offspring. That's a theme throughout Scripture. God brings redemption through the seed, through the offspring. And they named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of David. We know that David is the, is the type of Christ, right? He is the one that um, we have the great covenant with, with Abraham, the great covenant with Moses, the great covenant with King David, at, at the, the offspring of King David. His son will be a forever king on a forever throne. And it says the line was, was sustained through a Moabite woman, a, a Gentile, who was virtuous and godly. Remember back to the first week we talked about how the Hebrew Bible is set up. It has Proverbs 31, the picture of the godly wife or the virtuous woman. And then right after that, you have the story of, of Ruth. And we have it in our English Bibles. We have it during the period of Judges, chronology, right? Ruth appeared in the time of Judges, the Judges where people did what was wise in their own eyes. Ruth, this, this bright spot of hope, living for the Lord. And then right after Ruth, Ruth we go to Samuel and we learn of King David's story. This chronological line. But here is the beauty of this story, right? And I just figured this out this afternoon in study. I never heard this before in, in, in it being preached. Is just the, the beauty of God's grace and redemption. Now, when we read about Boaz, what do we see about Boaz? He's a man of worth, a man of character. Look at what the story goes in verse 18. So these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now, if you are a biblical historian or just understanding where this is going, this is the line of Christ, right? This is where God is going to redeem us through the, the offspring of Abraham and the offspring, the son of David, through Christ who, who came and lived that perfect life and died in our place to be raised from the dead. But just notice Boaz, this worthy and righteous man. Where did he come from? Well, it says that he came from Salmon. Salmon. Well, do you know who Salmon's wife was? Well, it was a prostitute named Rahab. Boaz, the, the worthy character who, who should have had a story, 
because of his past and his family's past of one of, of degradation, one of like the period of the judges where everyone did was wise in his own eyes. And in God's kindness, he took Boaz and he plucked him out and he gave him a man, uh, gave him character and integrity. Even with a, a, a mother who has a, had, had, a, had a jaded past. And God shows grace to, to Boaz and grace to Rahab, leading to the grace that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it a beautiful picture that life is truly all about grace? It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you have, what you have done up until this point. If you turn and come to Christ, you are cleansed. You are purified. You are blameless and holy in God's eyes. Because the, the offspring of Abraham, the son of David, the one who comes through this line, the Lord Jesus Christ, took our guilt and our shame and our sin and our debt on the cross, and he wiped it clean, completely and totally. So we are from this line. Ruth's story, Boaz's story, Naomi's story. Beloved, that's our story. This is our family tree. Where we get to celebrate what God has done for us in Christ. When I used to, to preach this, I used to only focus on the ending of, of Ruth and how this really po points to Christ. But man, this story is so full of suspense and love and integrity and honor. I pray that as, as you think about your life before the Lord, that you would understand that your, the end of your story is not yet written. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with today. It doesn't matter where you come from or what you uh, feel you're laden down with. Um, God chose to bless Tamar, a former prostitute, with a son, Perez. God chose to bless Rahab, a former prostitute, with a son, Salmon, or son, Boaz, that would lead to the one who would redeem prostitutes, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would understand the redemption we have in Christ and guys, that we would live our lives to help redeem those prostitutes in our world. To help them see that there is hope and glory in the gospel of Christ. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for you being a God who redeems and a God who saves. Father, bless us tonight as we leave this place, never forgetting that we uh, were once prostitutes. We were spiritual adulterers, God worshiping other gods, worshiping the idols of our day of comfort and pride and self. And you redeemed us. He redeemed us by the Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, we who are former adulterers, former prostitutes, former sinners, we rejoice that we've been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for these pictures that we see throughout the Bible of your life that is all about grace. Let us live in that grace. In Jesus' name, amen.